Welcome to the River City Church Podcast. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow Him today. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Some of you are actually having a good morning, and one of you actually uh, chose to say something about it. So that is good. We can do that. That's good. I am Jason. I am the lead pastor here. And you are here on a very special Sunday. To Sunday. Today is the Sunday where we begin our summer series. And it's important to know as we go over the next several weeks, uh, we're starting a series today called No Other. And it's going to be about something. It's super important. It's crucial. This is a thing I believe that if we don't kind of tackle and wrestle and, and unpack and try to see what it looks like in our lives, we will have um, kind of a diminished experience of the Lord. But what's very important is that we remember where we've been this year. We've spent all year this year talking about love, the fact that God is love. But I think what we've uncovered over the last, I don't know, thousand weeks, however many it's been that we've been doing this, what we've seen is that it's not like the soft romantic comedy kind of love. It is love that is gritty. It is love that is fierce, that gets involved. It is love that moves and acts and saves and redeems and restores. And over the next several weeks, as we hear from our teaching team, we're going to see some of the things that it restores us from and some of the things that we can actually cling to that will keep us from experiencing everything that God has. But it's all predicated on the fact that God is wildly in love with you. And in fact, every week, every time we gather, that is our confession. We say that together every week. Our confession is we say, we are badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. So as we launch that, we have a great opportunity to hear from a voice. Um, it is my uh, younger brother. Uh, he is a couple years younger than me, but he is astounding and wonderful, and I am so proud of him. He has, uh, up until very recently, uh, he has pastored a church. He has been in youth ministry. He has done all sorts of ministry. He is now uh, serving uh, with an organization called Our Daily Bread in San Antonio. It's fantastic, and it's wonderful. Uh, and my brother Aaron is an all-around just fantastic and wonderful guy. And here's the thing. I have heard his message today, and it's for us, and it's important, and it is good, and it is encouraging, and life-giving, and hopeful. So we're going to see a quick video, and then he is going to come, and when he does, will you welcome him and let him know that he is loved? And then uh, open your heart for what he has to receive, because I believe it's from the Lord today. So let's watch a video, and then he'll come. I just want to know why you were stressed. Younger brother and not little brother. Jason, I don't uh, some thoughts. We can talk about that later. Hey, it's great to, to be with you guys. I, I mean, I just love what God is doing through your church. My experience with River City, New Braunfels goes way back to the beginning, uh, like in 2000 and I don't know, six or seven, maybe we uh, were at River City Community Church and we had this crazy idea to plant a video venue. And uh, so I was with a core team of people that uh, I was on staff there and I came out, spent a couple of Saturdays, turning an old sausage factory into a church that served you well until just a few months back, and now here we are. And watching the way, watching, first off, watching what you guys have been for my, for my family, for my brother and his wife, uh, has been such an encouragement to me. But just watching the way God has used you guys in your community um, has really been a, an incredible thing. So it's, it's always an honor to get to, get to talk with you. And I, I loved the, the God is Love series that we did, walking through that, because um, that's such an important concept for everything else, is having a right understanding of who God is and, and the way he moves towards us. I think it's easy sometimes to think that we have this God who is, you know, uh, kind of this, this like angry scorekeeping God. But when we understand that his character from the beginning until now is that God is, 
is abundant and, and generous and, and good to us and is, is bathed in love, then it makes some of the hard stuff we have to talk about um, a little easier to get our, our brains around. It's, it's crazy, though, because it's super evident that God is abundant. If you go back to the creation of the world, I, I love when I'm traveling and you see the beauty of creation. I always have this thought, like, God could have made it all two-dimensional and black and white and, and, and flat and without you know, without smell or feel, and we wouldn't have known the difference. That's just the way it would have been created, but instead he makes it lavish and beautiful and tasty and and, and makes birds sing. And and then he gave us these little glory receptors to just receive it all and process it. And like, he didn't have to do that, but he did because he's he's love and and he's generous and, and that's his character. And it creates an interesting dilemma though. His creation is so beautiful that we oftentimes end up getting things backwards, right? And so Paul explains in Romans chapter 1 that they, talking to the God's people and by extension us, he goes, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. And so what begins to happen is God uh, provides for us in this abundant, uh, inexplicable way, um, and we begin to appreciate and worship and celebrate creation rather than seeing creation for what it is, what should be a, a worship accelerator of the, one, of the one who gave it all to us, right? And so what we call that when that happens, when we begin to get misplaced worship and we begin to create for ourselves other things, when we worship the created over the creator, um, we call that idolatry. We're raising up idols. Um, and this has been the problem that has plagued us all throughout scripture. This was the original lie of Satan. Uh, God has created the earth and everything in it. And he's told Adam and Eve, you can eat from anything that I've created, except there's this one tree in the middle of the garden that I'd ask you not to touch. And Satan shows up and says, "Um, you should want that tree because it's really good. And so what happens is we shrink our view of the goodness of God. And so we go from looking at all that he has provided to looking at this very narrow, small thing that he has for some reason asked us to trust him in. We have a hard time doing it. We, we, are, we, we have created this idol. We miss the bigness of creation for the smallness of created. Uh, I had an experience with this in 2017. Uh, so I, you've heard my brother, you know we're big baseball people, big baseball fans, um, uh, specifically Astros fans. And so 2017 was a big year for us. And if you're a Dodgers fan, just sit on it, okay? We didn't. We didn't cheat you out of anything. You just weren't as good as we were. And that is. But this weekend, you are so much better than us. And so I will give you that. If you're a current Astros fan, you know why I say that. But um, I had the opportunity of a lifetime for a lifelong baseball Astros fan. Um, 2017, we win game six of the American League Championship Series. It's coming down to a decisive game seven against the Yankees. I get a phone call at 11 o'clock at night the day before game seven, and a friend of mine goes, dude, I came into a ticket for game seven and I want you to have it. Oh my gosh, so I drive, incredible seats, I'm sitting there watching it, um, and and, and we get to the the bottom of the ninth inning, it's about to happen, if you know Astros history, this is the Lance McCullers 27 curveballs game, Um, everything's electric, and it gets to the place where um, we're down to the the final out, which is being a fly ball to George Springer in center field, and, and we win it all, and the place erupts, but I have, as this is going on, as we're nearing that final play, I'm wondering, what is everybody else's experience of this moment? And I, and I look around me, and I see some 40,000 people doing this. And I realized, holy moly, 
We have this beautiful game in three dimensions in front of us, and we are watching it through. The guy next to me, I'm like, at least clean your camera before you, like, lose yourself in that thing. Like, we're watching it through this tiny, shrunk-down version of, of beauty. Um, and, and as I began preparing for a talk this morning, I felt like, dude, this is the idle dilemma. That's what Satan is inviting us into, to, to miss the bigness of creation and to instead try to process it all through this shrunken lens. The idle dilemma continues through the Old Testament, right? Um, God leads them miraculously out of slavery to the Egyptians, keeps them alive in the wilderness, uh, leads them in defeat against incredible foes. And then the Israelites begin to look around at all the other nations they defeated and they go, they have a king. God, I think we want a king. And God's like, I'm your king. And they're like, I mean, I know, but like, we want one of those type of kings. And, 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 and it's, again, we're shrinking down. And it's not about what God has abundantly provided. It's about what we perceive as lack. See, they had erected an idol for themselves of, of power equals security. And so they shrink it down. And then we, we move forward, right? And even Jesus shows up and he's like, listen, I've come to redeem, to seek and to save that which was lost. I've come to, to fulfill the law. I've, I've come to set you free. And they go, that's really, really great, but we wanted a politician. Do you know any? We had, we had shrunk the vision down. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I am the father. And they're like, cool, but who's going to overthrow Rome? And then the apostle Paul jumps into, and that's where we pick up on Romans 1, that he experiences the same thing. He's like, Jesus has, has taken your cross. He's risen victoriously from the dead, and, and we're still missing the boat, and now we're, we're, we're falling in love with legalism. Jesus died to free us from that, but we go, well, if I can just become really good at keeping the law, then God will love me. And then we fast forward to today, and we're really not much, not much better. We orient our lives around things that we can have some degree of control over. We look for security in things that we define. We define our identity by the way other people look at us, right, rather than, than the one who, who created. And, and, and we can push back, as people often do, but the reality is every time we do that, every time I look to anything other than God to, to secure my identity or to, to provide for my, my security, what I'm saying in that moment is that I'm wor worshiping the creator or the created more than I'm worshiping the creator. So we always get pushed back when we talk about idols because people in the church will be like, well, I mean, that's cute, Aaron, but like it's not really, I, like in Old Testament, they like built things and worshiped it, right? And, and so I thought, we thought it was really important and the teaching team um, shared with me, they felt like it was really important to have a, a working definition of idolatry that we could kind of go to and point to through the whole series. And so um, in order to find that, we needed somebody much smarter than, than we are. And so we went to a guy named Tim Keller who was an incredible theologian and pastor and just loved the way he, loved the way he thinks. And, and so in a book called Counterfeit Gods, he gives us this definition that we're going to go over uh, throughout this series. He says, an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Anything that you've got in your life, that, it, that, that the thought of losing that thing would make your life feel hardly worth living. So I've, I've got the easy job a little bit. I'm not gonna give you a list of potential idols. Each week of this series, we are gonna look at one of those things, one thing that has the potential to become an idol. Uh, I believe there's things that are they're pretty frequently idols in, in 2023, uh, especially here in, in the West. But, but my job today is, is not to convince you of what your idol is, but rather just to wake you up to what I call the idolatry dilemma. 
See, the issue is not whether we worship. The issue is what we worship. You and I are created beings who every morning we wake up and we worship something. What we have to decide is what are we going to worship. And in order to decide that, we need to evaluate what does what we worship produce and secure for us. And then we, we work backwards from there. And so we're going to um, unpack each week a specific and common idol, but today let's just get going. And as we get started, what I want to do is walk us through a, a few key truths about idols um, that will help us understand why this is, an important, well, this is an important discussion. We have to understand what idols do because a lot of times we look at these things and go, I don't understand what the danger is, Aaron, like, like putting my, 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 you know, working really, really hard to, to, to gain whatever is, to gain financial security is a good thing. Um, the, the issue becomes in, in where am I putting that on my priorities? Here's some truths about idols. One, idols will always cause us to, to doubt the abundant goodness of God right? This was back in the, back in the, in the garden. They, the, 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 the Adam and Eve's response should have been like, bro, there's so many trees. We probably would never even get around to that tree. Like there's so many other trees to eat from. Like it doesn't even matter. But their idea instead was, well, I want the one that I can't have. And their thinking shifts from look at how abundant and generous God is to all of a sudden their thinking is look at how stingy and mean God must be. And so idols are always going to cause us to doubt the abundant generosity of God. And they do so by promising shortcuts to things that only God can deliver on. And so they say, listen, if you receive the approval of other men, if you build your life as, in a way that you gain favor and approval of everybody around you, then you'll find yourself content and pleased. Um, the problem is that that's not true because there's always somebody else to win over. Or, or the, the, I'm going to have enough wealth that I don't have to worry about anything. Well, anybody who has invested or, or, or put a lot, of, a lot of attention and energy into the financial markets over the last few years, I think would be able to articulate for us today that that is at best a very shaky and, and, and unpredictable idol, right? So idols promise us these shortcuts to things that only God can provide. But then the next thing we have to know about them is they cannot carry the weight that we put on them. They cannot carry the weight that we put on them. They, they break down under that pressure. We drive a lot. So I drive a, uh, we, we made the shift to hybrid vehicles uh, because, I mean, we literally, I put, when I say a lot, we just had new tires put on one of my cars. That one car, we did 42,000 miles last year. So we made the shift just so that we could uh, afford to do anything else. I drive a 2019 Honda Insight, little, like an Accord hybrid. And um, the person who had it before me put a tow hitch on it, which I find hilarious. I'm like, what are you towing with a Honda Insight? Like, had I put, yeah, I would be surprised. I'm afraid I would be. Uh, but had I put any real weight, that, that Insight is going to break down under the weight of my expectation. If I were to go, let's haul the big barbecue pit with that thing, we're not getting far, right? So our idols are the same way as a tow hitch on an Insight. It just can't carry the weight we intend to put on them. But the other thing, and I, wanna, I want us to be aware of this, because it's so significant. This is true if you're a parent or a grandparent, or if you um, do anything to invest in younger people or the next generation, idols introduce us to a generational struggle that we were not designed to fight. 
idols introduce into our families and into our lives this generational weight that, that we were never intended to carry. And so this is why when we zoom out, this is why God begins his story of redemption for us. In the, this is in the law in Exodus with some, some really important understanding given in grace and love and mercy and a deep desire for our welfare. He starts off the Ten Commandments like this, Exodus 20. Starting in verse 1, then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I want to clarify some things in this passage. One, um, this is not the words of a controlling God. Like when you read the word, um, I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, please don't think about your eighth grade girlfriend. It is not that kind of jealous the idea here is jealous, jealous for. So I am, uh, I love, man, I, this is going to shock you. I know you're not, you can't tell this by looking at me, but I love food and, and a lot of it, right? I'm a steak eater by trade. That's what I do. Um, my son Carson, on the other hand, has had chicken strips in some of the finest restaurants Texas has. <laughs> To offer. And there are moments where when I sit down at the table and I'm enjoying this beautiful ribeye and I look over and my son is eating a chicken strip, I am jealous for Carson. Not jealous of. I want no piece of the chicken strip. I'm not impressed by the chicken strip. He asked me, he's like, Dad, you want to try this chicken strip? I do not want to try the chicken strip, son. Um, I'm jealous for because I'm like, bud, you're missing out. Like, there's so much better than what you're settling for. And so that's the picture of God, right? When God says, I'm, I'm, I'm a jealous God, God's like, I know what I created you for. I know what I called you to. And I know what that life produces in you if you will follow it. And when I watch you worshiping other things, it breaks my heart for you, right? And so, and then with that understanding, God gives us a warning and then a beautiful redemptive promise. The warning. It says that I will lay the sins of the father onto the sons for down to the third and to the fourth generation. This is the warning. Now, you got to understand, Scripture, this passage is written in Hebrew, later translated to Greek, later translated um, to English, like in the 16th century, and then later translated um, into modern English, and then later translated into multiple translations. And so I bring that up to let you know, sometimes there are passages where we did the best that we could with the words that we had to explain really complex and nuanced languages. When God says, I will lay the sins of the father onto the generation. He, this is not God saying, I'm pouty because the dad sinned, and so now I'm going to inflict that sin on the, on the sons. He, the, the inference is twofold. One, he says, um, you have chosen. This is the, the, the nature of the fall is, you, you, I've turned you over to your desires, and, and you have chosen sin, and your kids feel the, the consequence of that sin. I don't think any of us in this room would have to think very long or very hard to think about some behavior pattern or thought pattern or response pattern that we picked up from our parents that we wish that we hadn't, right? 
And so what God is saying is like, you have in your sin taught this to your kids, and because of the current arrangement of things, I just, I didn't intervene. I didn't block it. Like you are, you are teaching this to your kids. But then he brings us this redemptive process because some of you are like, well, why doesn't he intervene? It's free will and it's a whole other sermon, but, but hear me on this. He then says, however, if you will just align your worship correctly and tear down the idols, then I will bless your children and on and on and on. And, and, and here's, the, again, the beauty and the abundance of a God whose character is love. For, for how many generations are the sins visited? Did you catch that? Three or four. How many generations, if we will align ourselves correctly and worship God? Thousands. God is saying, listen, life begets life and death begets death. So choose what you worship very carefully. And at the same time, what is beautiful is he says, as true as that is, I'm a redeeming God who can restore what you thought was lost. And so here's what I suspect. My guess is that none of us are ever fully convinced that our idols can do what they say they're going to do. I think most of us at some point, we have, we have built our lives worshiping and surrendering and sacrificing for other things, like identity uh, um, and, you know, indulgence uh, for work, for finance, for, for whatever it is. And yet we still have this nagging sense that surely there's something more. Surely this can't be all that there is. See, that is that eternal thing in us, acknowledging that, that we're worshiping at a, at a broken altar. And so my goal today is not to provide you with a specific list of idols. We're going to introduce you to a few in the coming weeks. But, but my, my goal today is just to wake us up to the idol dilemma and, and kind of to, in love, force us to a decision where we've just got to look at the reality of the, the facts and then decide what do we do with them. And then I hope to be able to show us a way out of it. I want to do that by looking at two contrasting responses to a very similar moment. In the New Testament, we meet two guys who have a very similar moment and very opposite responses. And, and I just want to walk through them. The first guy we're going to meet is found in, in the book of Luke, chapter 18. We don't know his name. He's only referred to as the rich young man. Here, here's what that nickname implies when it says it's a rich young man. The fact that they would choose to draw our attention to those two characteristics tells us that this kid is special, that he's young, probably late teens or early 20s, and by saying he is rich, that he has overachieved. He has, has, has through family and through hard work, he has built for himself a war chest, not just of financial resources, but of influence and of prestige and of prominence. He is engaging with Jesus in a circle where he is with the Pharisees, which would tell us that he either at a young age had already become one of the religious leaders in that culture, or at a very minimum was being groomed to take over in a very short period of time. And so this is a kid who has excelled and risen to the top of the class. And what's interesting is the other guy that we're going to meet in Acts chapter 9 is a guy we call Paul. Paul is a significant New Testament scripture in that he wrote most of it. And so Paul also has built this identity for himself as a, his, his altar is this, his spiritually elite pedigree. Paul is a Pharisee trained by a guy named Gamaliel who was the, the best uh, the best rabbi at that time, Paul was, was from an influential family and an influential tribe, and, and, and Paul had everything you could possibly want. And both of these guys are going to meet Jesus, and their responses to his invitation are going to be significant and instructive. And so that's what I want to do in the rest of our time together. So 
In Luke 18, we're told that once a religious leader, that's the rich young man, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus has this curious exchange with him, right? Jesus goes to him, and, and what he does, he goes over half of the Ten Commandments. He looks at him, he's like, I mean, you know, he's like, don't kill anybody, don't steal, don't commit adultery. He just goes over kind of what we would call the external parts of the Ten Commandments, the, the behavior things, honor your father and mother, he says. For a young man who had uh, worked very hard at keeping the law, this part of the test comes very easy. And he's like, well, I've done all those things since I was young. Which raises an important question. If that's true, what this guy is asking is, when he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What he's asking is, teacher, what do I need to do to be sure that I'm okay with God? Why is he asking that question? This is a young man who has built an idol of spiritual authority and, and perfection and has spent his whole life worshiping at it and by his own definition has done pretty good at it. And so why is he asking that question? That speaks to what we talked about a minute ago. Oftentimes, even in the worship of our idols, or the worship of these lesser gods, we find ourselves recognizing ah, this there's something's not right. There's this nagging sense that we talked about that an idol was never fully to answer. And so they have this exchange, and then after the exchange, Jesus makes this guy this unbelievable offer. He says in chapter 18, verse 22, when Jesus heard the young man's answer, he said, there's still one thing you don't have. Sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So this scripture has been used manipulatively in a lot of places and a lot of churches to get you to give them all of their money. I, I want to just off the hook, like this passage isn't even about money, right? This is about Jesus just cutting through the nonsense. This is Jesus sees that man's idol for what it is and just gets right to it. Will you lay aside the idol that you've built and come follow me? And so if, it's, to, 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 if this is me, Jesus shows up to me and he's like, hey, Aaron, You've been pretty good, but there's one thing you lack. I need you to never eat another cheeseburger and then come follow me. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, can I follow you sometimes? Is there? And the offer that he makes him, that phrase, come and follow me, is significant, right? We don't hear it a lot in the New Testament. He said it to three guys on a boat, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said it to a tax collector sitting at a tax booth. He said, leave your job and come follow me right? What he's asking that guy is, he's like, you want to know what it's like to, eternal, to, to enter eternal life? What if I told you, come follow the one who is eternal life and see what it's all about? But in order to do that, you're going to have to align your worship. This is the invitation that Jesus makes. And, and I want you to hear me on this. This is not an invitation Jesus made one, or one time to this guy, one time to Paul. This is the question that Jesus asks men and women who would bear his name each and every morning right? We'll get to more of that in a minute. Paul's backstory, uh, I'd already told you, he was a, a leader in the, in the, in the, the, the Jewish tradition. He's a Pharisee. Um, and then he was so certain about his idol of, of legalistic goodness 
that he is leading a charge against the early church. And literally, um, he is overseeing the arrest and execution of men who would worship Jesus. We, we get a story early in Acts of a guy named Stephen who gets um, uh, killed by stoning. And uh, Paul, we're told, is there holding their coats, giving approval to the actions of those men. And, and then from there, he heads out, uh, heading towards Damascus. And his mission is to arrest and kill the apostles and any who would follow their way. And along the way, he too has an encounter with Jesus. Verse 3 of Acts 9, as Paul was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. So the idols are different, but they've both been exposed. For the rich young man, hey, sell all your possessions, give away all your money, and come follow me. To Paul, hey, set aside your identity. Set aside your reputation. Set aside your learning, and come follow me. Different idols, but they're both shown. And what Jesus is saying is like, this is, these are, guys, these are the shackles that you wear that I want to liberate you from. Jesus offers them the same offer. Lay them aside, come with me to change the world. And that's the idolatry dilemma. There are these moments, day after day, where we are shown the idol that we've been worshiping. And Jesus says, can can you imagine that life could be better without that in it? Could you imagine that if, could you imagine that if you would follow me and look to me that, that it could be even sweeter? We are asked to walk away from that and follow Jesus. And, 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 and apart from a decision to, to surrender to him in the first place, the way we respond to that invitation is the most significant decision that we will ever make. And so I want to look at the response of both guys. Verse 23 of Luke 18, the rich young man heard what Jesus said and became very sad, for he was very rich. We read that, and so many times we're like, I just can't imagine being that. I mean, it's the face of Jesus asking me if I want to follow him. I would give up everything to follow him. Would you? Really? Because my experience in my own life is that I often hear that question and go away sad. Aaron, don't, don't worry about what that person might think if you speak the truth that I've asked you to speak to them in love, trusting that I'm a better defender than you are. Well, I don't, I don't know if I could do that, Jesus, because they may not like me. Aaron, man does not live by bread alone. Walk away from the buffet line and trust that I can provide for you better than, well, certainly you wouldn't ask me to do that. My wife doesn't respect me and doesn't like me, doesn't look me in the eye, and we don't have that connection anymore, and so I have this, uh, this behavior that I engage in, and I go to this website, and I look at it, and the Lord would say, well, trust that, that you can lay that aside, and I can, I can fulfill you more than I could. Well, I'm just maybe next time. See, I don't think that we're a whole lot better. I think that we have built these idols and, 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 and they spend their lie time after time after time after time. And rather than believing the voice of truth, we take the bait again and again and again and again. Now, the, the hopeful thing in that is if we learn anything by the two guys represented, right? The rich young ruler, he's still young, but Paul is not. He's much older. And, 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 and we see that God is never done calling. There's never a point where God just gets mad and goes, well, fine. If you don't want to play, then I'm done with you too. There's this this never-ending redemptive pursuit. And so no matter where you sit today, 
The invitation of God today, just like the invitation of God tomorrow, will be, are you ready to set aside and come follow me? And here's the deal. Even when we say yes and we set that aside, we go along our way, and then we unintentionally begin to build altars again. And the beauty of God is that he asks us again the next day, hey, this is becoming a problem spot. Are you willing to tear it down so that you can be free? I'll help you do it. And we get to make that decision all over again, each time finding life. And so let's take a look at what that might be like. In Acts chapter 9, verse 8, we're told that after that experience, Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Simply put, the opposite of the rich young man. The rich young man is told, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, come and follow me. He goes away sad. Jesus says, hey, go into Damascus. I've got somebody who's going to tell you what your next life mission is, away from all that you put your hope in. And Paul says, let's get on the road. The different responses are, my idol is exposed, but, but how do I respond to their exposure? The rich young ruler, if we go back to our definition of worship, an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. The rich young man says, I can't imagine life without that thing. Paul says something quite different. And in fact, in his letter to the church in Philippi, he, he gives us some insight into what his mental process was like in that moment. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4, Paul says, he identifies his idol. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. There it is. That's the idol. I'm a good dude. That was my idol. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul said, my idol was, I did it better than you. I did everything written about being holy. And then he says, but... Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So here's the decision point that we've got to get to. When Jesus speaks to you in the coming weeks, if he hasn't begun to do so already, about the idol that you've built to take his place, will you go away sad or will you consider life not worth living if it's not lived with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ your Lord? Over the course of this series, our desire is to lead you to that moment, is to get you to the place of the idol dilemma, to stop viewing the beauty that God has created through this shrunk down two-dimensional lens and begin to see the beauty and the purpose of the life that you were created for, to consider real beauty. But here's the thing, we cannot make that choice for you. We cannot make that choice for you. You are going to have to make it. And, and listen, I, I don't believe in being dishonest, and I don't know if they'll ever invite me back to speak again, so I'm just going to level with you right out of the gate, right? It ain't going to be easy. When you decide, I'm going to just tear down, start tearing down idols, and I'm going to live just alone for Christ, it is not going to just be sunshine and unicorns, friends. The world's not going to understand. They're going to think it's ridiculous. What do you mean you hope your identity is in Christ? What do you mean you're willing to, what do you mean you don't care? What do you mean you prioritize? The world's not going to get it. In fact, they're going to tell you you're crazy. 
If, if I know anything about the enemy, what he's going to do is you begin to tear down an idol. He's be, going to begin to try to convince you even harder that that idol was your only hope. And you're going to have to day by day by day say, rubbish compared to the passing, surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. It will not be easy. You will not be rewarded or applauded by many for the decision that you make. So the question that I want to pose to you as honestly and as lovingly as I can is will you make it anyway? Is knowing Jesus enough? If your pursuit of Jesus never makes you rich or popular or, or whatever, is just knowing that the author of creation sees you in your badly broken state and loves you more deeply than you've ever been loved, is that enough? The Apostle Paul said it was. And here's the thing. You cannot flirt with this decision or play. This is an all or nothing, all in proposition and your freedom is at stake. Your purpose is at stake. You've got to consider it trash. The word that Paul uses for trash there in the Greek is an interesting one. There's different kinds of trash we can agree, right? There's like um, the little small trash can next to the copier at work that just has some, some wadded up paper in it maybe. Um, and then there's like trash. A few years ago, I was uh, in my car and I had to stop at Target for something. Um, and my wife had been driving my car. And um, I think my, my wife just likes to leave me little tokens to remember her by when she borrows my car. Um, little things like empty Starbucks cups and gum wrappers and um, and so I had, uh, I was in my car and I was going into to Target and I gather up all of the things and I've got them in my hands and I've got my keychain is hooked on my pinky and so I'm going in, I'm walking up to the door and outside of the door, and this is like late July, so it's like 600 degrees and I'm walking up to it and I dump everything in and then I go inside the store and I do shopping and uh, I come back out and I get in my car and I don't have keys and it didn't take very long for me to know just what happened to them. I was like, I have thrown away the only key that exists to my vehicle. And so I knew what I had to do, so I walked back up, and I'm like, I'm about to have to dig through the trash at Target in July at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I'm like taking the top off, and I start digging, and people, it's humiliating. People are like walking by, like throwing change at me. They're like, poor guy, get yourself a drink, man. But I'm digging through, and this is stuff you can't make up, man. There's like, there's like a dirty diaper on top, and I'm having to like move it, and there's like just food and gross, and it stinks, and I'm like elbow deep in it, and I finally, keys are heavy, right? So they sink, so I had to like work for it. I get it, and it's like, oh, I had to go in and wash myself. Like, can you take a shower at Target? Is there room for that? It was, but in all seriousness, as I left, and I'm walking back to my car, the Lord put this scripture on my mind. He's like, you've built your life around a whole lot, Aaron, but it's no more appealing than what you just dug through. And so that was a decision I had to make. The worship team's gonna come back up, and here's the thing. I, I had originally planned on giving us some action steps, take these five, do these five things this week, but here's what I feared. I feared that if I did that, that um, that might become an idol. I'll just do these five things and then I'll be right and I don't have to do the work. But when the reality is that what actually matters is that we get to a place where we consider nothing better than gaining Christ. 
And so I thought the best way to end our time together this morning would be to, in a physical way, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to end with a time of worship. But during that time of worship, I want to invite you um, to allow the, the Holy Spirit to do some significant work in, in your life. Some of you here this morning, and you're like, I don't have any idols in my life, Aaron. In fact, you're a sinner, and I should have preached. Well, God bless you. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Just keep coming back for the next few weeks with an open mind. See what happens. But to anyone in here who might be like me, as soon as we started talking about idols, as soon as my brother reached out to me and said, this is the message I'd like for you to preach, man, things started racing to the top of my mind where I realized I've got some things in my life that I've risen to an unhealthy level. So if some of you are sitting here right now and you know just what that thing is, began to raise to the surface. I don't want to try to convince you that it's trash compared to the surpassing greatness of God. I'm just going to tell you that it is. What I am going to invite you to do is to set it aside and call it as such. You may notice on your way in to your right, you're over there, there's a no other wall, a big wall, um, those white we want to give you an opportunity this week and each week of the series to take a step to lay down the idols, whatever is distracting you from Jesus. And so I'm going to ask the people on the end of these inside rows, there's little white baskets under your chair. What we're going to do is we're going to take those, and if you could just pass them down the row, everybody can take a piece of paper. And this is what we want to invite you to do in this space of this next song. If, if you know what the Lord is asking you to surrender to him, then write it down on that paper and we're going to ask you to take a difficult step, a physical step of getting up, walking into that wall, and laying it down. And just say, Jesus, even this, I lay at your feet, and I consider trash compared to knowing you. And then just fix your eyes on the one who loves you. I'm going to pray, and then I'll come back up and close this in a minute with some, with some other instructions. Also during this song, we want to invite you over the course of this, we realize there's this tendency at times to make uh, sermons uh, something that we hear and we're inspired by in the moment, but then in the busyness of the week, it kind of fades into the background. We want to try over the course of this week to keep each other engaged in what's going on and open to what the Spirit wants to do. And so we've created a set of weekly devotionals for, for each weekday during the series um, where we will text you out like a thought prompt and some things to do to, to, to take this and root it deep down in your soul. If you would like to participate in that, then over the course of this next song, pull out your phone and text one word, text no other to the word 94, or to the number 94000, no other to 94,000. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for being a God who is so much greater than anything I can wrap my mind around. God, I confess to you my propensity to worship trash. Not just in my past, but I recognize that there are places in my life right now where I'm struggling. I recognize there will be places in my future where I'll try to build a little trash idol again. But Father, in your grace, you always invite us in love to tear it down, to fall at your feet, and to be forgiven, redeemed, and restored. And so that's what I ask for in this moment. It's just that you would open our eyes, not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of freedom. 
Father, I want to pray for anybody in this room whose heart's beating a little, little hard right now because they know you're working, they know you're tugging, but the thought of actually stepping out from their seat and walking over to that wall and laying down an idol, it terrifies them. What will people think? What will people say? What will happen if? Father, maybe that's the idol you're trying to tear down. So would you encourage and embolden them to take that step of obedience to just be honest with you? This is what's causing me to go home sad, but I don't want to be sad anymore. I want to be yours. So Holy Spirit, would you work in us over the next few minutes? Thank you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. You're so much better than we deserve. Thank you for the cross that is our hope. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.